I'm Chaplain Jacob Scott of the Oregon National Guard. This is the Hope in the Trenches podcast. We're going forward. I'll sit down for conversations with people who offer interesting and informative perspectives on finding strength for life and work in the trenches and even improving our spiritual posture. Whether you feel like you're under heavy bombardment or ready to go over the top toward a new objective, it's good to be with you. Our guest today is Ms. Stephanie Torres. She's a military and family readiness specialist here in Salem, Oregon. She's got some responsibility for two counties, Marion and Pope County. She works with service members and their families and community partners to connect our people to the resources that are out there. Stephanie is also a, a gold star spouse. She lost her husband, Jorge Armando Torres, in 2013. And you'll hear from her story, she has taken that and turned it into an incredible passion for helping and serving people. In addition to her work here in Salem for the Oregon National Guard, she's also the state president for Gold Star Wives and vice president for the Northwest region. So she's the state president for the Willamette chapter of Gold Star Wives. Stephanie, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Well, your, your story is so powerful. Can you tell us a little bit, well, how, how'd you meet your husband? You know, it's, it's funny how we met. We actually met back in eighth grade. I had recently moved to Independence in I was attending Talmadge Middle School, and I remember I was just kind of getting to know the language. I was really new to the U.S. I came to the U.S. when I was only 13 years old, so it was really, really new to me. Um, I was in eighth grade, and he was in eighth grade as well. I was a really quiet person. I was really into school, and he was... The opposite of me. <laughs> he was well known. He was, you know, not a troublemaker, but definitely well known around the school by the teachers. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so that's when we first met. Uh, we had mutual friends, but we actually didn't start talking until maybe 2013. Oh, wow. No. Hold on, sorry. We met in 2008. 2008, okay. Yeah, 2008. And it was through a mutual friend who wanted to talk to my sister at that time. And he's like, hey, could you come over and bring your sister? And I was like, yeah, I'll come over. And actually, that's how we started talking. Okay. I remember when I saw him, we were, hey, I remember you from back in the day. You know, we were now older. Mm-hmm. Um, and he has just joined the Army. Okay. So that was December when we started talking, and he's like, hey, I just kind of want to let you know that I joined the Army, and I'm leaving in March. I was like, okay. I mean, I don't know. I didn't know what it meant. Sure. Yeah, that was my question. Did, did, you, know, did you know anybody else that was in the Army? No, no. I mean, I, like in Costa Rica, we don't even have an Army, and that's not something that we ever really grew up learning about, right? Mm-hmm. So you come here, and you hear about the Army, and I didn't know anything about it. Mm-hmm. All I knew was he had 
signed the papers two months prior to meeting, and he said, I'm leaving in March, and I want to let you know. Like, I would love to talk to you and keep talking to you, but heads up, I'm leaving to mm-hmm. basic training. That's essentially what he said. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay. Not knowing what it meant, we just continued talking. Right. Yes. Well, and we were already more than a decade into the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan at that point. Yes. I remember the day he left was March 17th. So, you know, I'll go and drop you off. And I think that's when I realized kind of what it meant. He kept saying, I'm leaving. I'm leaving. But I just didn't understand it. Mm -hmm. So I went and dropped him off. And I was like, okay, he's going to basic training. He'll be back. It's fine. So he was um, a combat medic. That was his passion. That's what he wanted to do. And he was with an engineer company out of Dallas, where he was living at that time. And he came back October 10th on his birthday. That's how I remember these days. (laughs) And I remember I was so excited to go and see him and pick him up. And as I'm driving back home, just out of nowhere, he's like, hey, um, so I graduated and have, like, really high grades and... I'm getting deployed. I was like, what do you mean you're getting deployed? Like, you were leaving to basic training, and now you're leaving? Like, and that was a combat zone. So that was, for me, that was really scary because I was Mm -hmm. understanding now what it meant to be away. And for me, it was a long time, being the first time that he was gone. And I was like, okay, well, when are you leaving? Like, what's going on? And he said, well, I'm leaving in a week (laughs) for extra training and... In November, I'll be leaving for a year. So that was that was rough, mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So he did that, and I remember he came back for Christmas, maybe for like a, a few days, and off he went. He went to Afghanistan with the 1249th that mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So obviously joining the military is a huge step in anybody's life. <laughs> yeah. And the training that we do changes us, and we learn, and we grow, and we mature. Um, did you notice anything different about Jorge when he came back from training? Oh, I did. I did. I. Um, it was it was a life changing experience. I I was the girlfriend, right? Mm-hmm. And I remember kind of being in the back burner, like, oh, I don't think you guys are gonna make it. I don't think you guys are gonna last. There was a lot of the um, stipulation from people. Mm-hmm. Because it, it was hard, you know, like I was really young. Mm-hmm. He was gone being back home on your own, trying not to watch the news and trying not to listen to people. I didn't really have a lot of people to talk to at that time about how I felt. Because mm-hmm. every time I would talk to someone about it, like I miss Mondo, their response would be, I mean, that's what he signed up for. And that's not what I needed to hear at that time. You know, there's so, there was so much going on, um, a lot of the news going on, and it was really rough. I remember yeah. there was times when I was just hoping and praying that he would call me. I just wanted to hear his voice. And next thing you know, he calls me, and something had already happened there. He couldn't tell me about and so I was, like, super excited to talk to him. And he's like, hey, 
I just want to talk to you, like, how are you doing? I love you. How is Jonathan? Jonathan was only a year old at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, we would try to Skype when we could. But, I mean, back in 2010 and 2009, that wasn't available for us the way that it is now for right. people. So he was really rough. I think he he came back a little bit different. He was more distant. I felt like he was trying to keep things separated hmm. from family and work Hmm. and didn't really want to get me involved too much in it because he felt like he was protecting me in a way. So that was a big change from when he first left. Mm -hmm. That was the first big change for him. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you've probably talked to many spouses and family members since then who had, who went through that, a very similar experience, you know, when your loved one is gone. Yeah, um, one of the best experiences that I had was getting to know the families, talking to spouses, like you guys are all going through the same. And you start building that relationship, you know, the army is all about brotherhood, right? Mm -hmm. It's the same thing for families. But I just didn't have the resources, I didn't know how to navigate that. Mm-hmm. because I was still the girlfriend. Yeah, I remember Mando asked me, like, hey, let's just get married. Let's just get married right now before deployment. And I said, no, because you're coming back, and when you come back, then we can get married. That, for me, was, like, reassuring that like he's coming back, and it really mm-hmm. helped me. He, um, so being the girlfriend during deployment was a little difficult at that time. Yes. Yeah, I imagine I imagine that's that's tough. And I imagine you meet girlfriends, boyfriends that are in similar in similar shoes. Yeah, I think right now with uh, a lot of the programs that we have and a lot of the new resources that we have available that has changed for good. Um we really reach out to people, we try mm-hmm. to push it out there. We know that families serve too. Yeah. And family, we can't really define a family. So if I'm the service member and I'm deploying and my neighbor's watching my dog and that's who I put down as a point of contact, that's who we consider family. So we don't have labels. And I don't think we had that before. Although I had a really good support from the spouses, it was a lot different back then. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and there are there are challenges that are unique to the National Guard and the Reserves not being active duty, not being near a military installation. We'll get, in, we'll get into some of that mm-hmm. later. Um, so he, he came back from the deployment, and did you guys get married shortly after that? Yes, yeah, so he came back from the deployment, and we had Icy, who's now 10. We had Icy, and he, kinda, he was really struggling a lot with um, PTSD and kind of getting reintegration was mm-hmm. hard for him. And I remember... That was really hard. After he came back, he didn't want to sleep in the same room. He kind of wanted to be alone. There was a lot of things and noises that would kind of throw him off. Um, So that was really difficult. It Mm -hmm. took us a little longer to get married because we wanted to make sure that that's what we wanted. And I wanted, like, I loved him. I wanted to be there. I was like, you know what? We can make it through. Let me help you. And... And slowly, he let, allowed me to get a little bit more into it. And I was looking up, like, resources. I was reaching out to people. I would just Google it. Like, I didn't really know anybody. 
And eventually he started getting help, and we got married in 2012. 2012, okay. 2012, yes. Yeah. So that was like four years after. Mm, okay, yes. okay. Mm -hmm. Then in, in 2013, that's when your life changed. Right, right. So I was only like 24, 25 at that time, right? So he's finally getting assistance. He's getting looking out for counseling. We have the kids. He got the VA disability approved. That was big because mm -hmm. it took him a long time to get that. Um, he had all these medals, and he was really passionate about his job. He was like a go, 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 like nonstop. Yeah. I remember um, waking up, and he was always reading, and he was like, I want to be a doctor. Like, I want to go out. I, I want to go to college and be able to do what I did. But in order for him to do that, he had to start from start from zero. Mm -hmm. So that was hard for him to be able to sit in a classroom and concentrate and start from zero when he had all the experience from deployment. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So we kind of moved to the parents' um, property. He was looking. In, we were looking into buying a house. And September 18th, that's when my husband was killed in a fatal car crash mm -hmm. yeah so that was that was really hard my kids were only two and six years old at the time and with that at that time I was it was a really rough time in my life um I was undocumented at the time I was going through the process of getting my green card mm -hmm. getting everything um straight. Mm -hmm. um, and I remember when I came here with my parents, I didn't understand what it meant to be undocumented. Like, I mean, I was only 12 when I came here and I didn't understand it. Right. So I was going to school and I was doing everything I thought I could to get a scholarship. And then when I graduated, because I skipped seventh grade and I could have graduated as a junior. But I was like, you know, I, I love school. Like, that's just, this is what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. My mom was really sick at that time. So I knew that if I didn't get a scholarship, I couldn't go to college. There was no way I could have done it. So I, I stayed another year as a senior. And I took all the advanced college classes. And I, I was so good. <laughs> I was getting A plus in chemistry, anatomy and physiology, science. That was that's what I loved. Mm -hmm. um, and when it came down to applying for a scholarship, I got denied in every single one because I did not have a social security number. Mm. So that's when I realized, okay, this is what it means. Um, so working through the whole process was, it's not as easy as a lot of people think it is, but there's ways to do it. So it took me a little longer to get into the process, but I was going to do it through him now mm -hmm. as a sponsor because he just thinks it was a lot easier. We were married. It kind of speeds up the process when you're sure. married. Um, but when the sponsor, in this case my, my husband, passed, everything went to zero. So at that time, I was undocumented. Mm -hmm. I had only turned 26, like two weeks before that. I had two kids, and I was now homeless. So that was when my life changed completely. In 30 seconds after I got the knock on the, do on the door. Mm -hmm. So 
having never received that knock on the door, I can only imagine what that experience is like. Now, as a chaplain, I've been on notification missions, and mm-hmm. I've I've been there as we let a family member know that their loved one is gone. Yeah. Um, I remember they came and they obviously came to my mom's house. That's where I was at. And I mean, I'm I'm sure they were trying their best, right? But when you're breaking the, the news to someone like that, I was on denial for maybe at least two minutes. And I was like, no, no, you have the wrong person. My husband is home. He's home. He's he's getting ready to go to drill this weekend. And they were like, no, ma'am. Like, I'm sorry, but is his name Jorge? Was, does he have this car? And I was like, yeah, but I left the house and he was still there. Like, I just said goodbye to him not too long ago. And then it was like two minutes later that it hit me, and i that's when I completely lost it. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like I remember, like, I just could not function. Like, I couldn't think straight. And at that moment, everybody wants to be with you. Everybody wants to, like, help you. And I, I didn't want that. I just wanted to be alone. Mm-hmm. Because I didn't feel like I want, I feel like I needed to entertain people around me. Like, like if you come to see me, I need to make sure that you're taken care of. And I couldn't even function to take care of myself and my kids. Mm -hmm. So that was really, really life-changing experience. That was really hard. Um, And then I remember maybe two days later, the CAO came in, which is a casualty assistance officer. Mm-hmm. and stepped in to help us with the funeral arrangements. And that was another change in my life, finding out that I was not in tears. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so finding out through that process I was not in the system, meaning that the SGLI was not coming to me. The servicemen's uh, group life insurance, right? Correct. So, So from the Army's perspective... Mm-hmm. You didn't have an official relationship with Mondo. No, you don't, and that's why it's so. That's what I, I love what I do, right? Because mm-hmm. I've been through it, and I just don't want anybody to go through the same. But whoever you have down, as as your beneficiaries, who gets it? Mm-hmm. And I was not in the paperwork. It was um, the parents. So there I was now, homeless, <laughs> broke with two kids and undocumented at the, all at the, within like two days, mm-hmm. everything just shattered in front of my eyes. Mm-hmm. That was hard. I, I think that's an understatement. Um, <laughs> no, right. But now people who meet you today, mm-hmm. it's uh, as, you know, as I learned just little parts of your story from you and from, uh, from people that know you, <laughs> um, it's 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 absolutely incredible in your passion and how you approach your work now. I mean, I mean, it's it's obvious that you love soldiers and airmen and their families. Oh, I absolutely do. Um, I remember, and this is how I got into the program. Um, the program saved me, hmm. and I know that it can do that for people. I I was living in a really it was like a shack. It was yeah. non-livable. It was all I could have at that time. 
And I remember I got a check from Service Outreach Specialist, the program. Oh, yeah, uh, from Survivor, uh, SOS, the Survivor Outreach. Yes. Yeah. How long How long was this after Mondo died? Um, I mean, I can't remember how long after it was. I remember, like, this uh, CAO talking to me about it, and I was just so mad at him. Like, I didn't, I mean, I wasn't mad at him. I know that. Right, right. Now I know that. Yeah. But I was just so mad, and I, I was like, why would you ever be here? Like, what brings you here? Mm-hmm. Um, we got that, I got that check, and it was under my name. And I was like, okay. And it was for $10,000. And those $10,000 saved me and my kids because I was able to provide at least food. Mm-hmm. I didn't qualify for assistance being undocumented. I had to apply, again, for the paperwork. Uh, to the immigration. For your citizenship. Yeah. And it was actually the green card at that time because mm-hmm. I was, I didn't have anything. Oh, yeah, just, yeah, yeah, just the legal status. Yeah, so yeah. I had to reapply and pay for all of that. And that's really what helped me and saved me and gave me a chance to kind of, in a way, restart my life. Um, and I was like, I really thought it was like a giveaway, you know, how you could sometimes get on the mail this junk. Oh, yeah. Like you have won $5,000 or you have been approved for 2000 Call us and find out if you do. But I was like, what is SOS? Like, what is this, right? Um, I had an amazing SOS. And that's how I, I was like, hey, is this real? Is this legit? And they're like, yeah, we're part of the family programs, and this is what we do. And that was like a, an eye-opener to all the resources that were available for me and my family, and I had no idea about. Mm-hmm. So that was, for me, a wake-up call, and that was my call. Like, I yeah. knew that was it. Mm-hmm. You found your mission. I did. I did. I remember it took me about a year to be able to do anything. I remember my uh, Jonathan at that time, Johnny was only six. And I always tell him all the time, he is my rock. If it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be here. He he was the one who helped me through it all. Mm Because people don't know how to do grief. They don't know how to deal with grief, right? I was so young at the time. People would come up to me and say, um, like, don't cry. Don't let your kids see you cry. You're young. You will move on. Hmm. Um, he does not want to see you sad. If he were here, he would want to see you happy. And that's really not what I needed to hear at the time. Yeah. So then I started just not going out at all and staying at the house. And Jonathan would get up and shower the little one uh, and give him cereal and put him to watch TV. For many days at a time, he did that. And I remember not being physically able to get out of bed. Mm-hmm. Like there was times that it really felt like I couldn't breathe. And when I was trying to breathe, it was really hard, painful to breathe. It was that bad. And I remember watching him and I was like, if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't be here. And I tell him that all the time. But um, a, month, a year later, so September 13th, um, in 2014, I applied for a job. I applied for a job and I got that interview September 18th, and that was the anniversary, the first year anniversary. And one of the questions they asked me was, 
can you deal with stress? <laughs> and I remember sitting there and I said, I, I feel like I can. And she asked me, okay, give, give me an example. And I said, well, I am here today and I'm sure that if I didn't tell you this, you would not know that today is my husband's first year death anniversary. And here I am. And I'm pretty sure that's what got me the job. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's what got me the job. Um, that was for me. I remember having like, I had a dream. I had a dream like a few days before where I, I feel like he was telling me, hey, it's okay. Like, you got this. So I was like, okay, I'm going to apply for the job. And I got the job. Um, I was pretty excited. It was, it was um, the first step, I guess, for me. Mm-hmm. To be able to go, like, start living again, in a way. So I was doing that for a little bit. And an opportunity came up to be a VISTA. So that was through the AmeriCorps. Mm-hmm. It's Volunteers in Service to America. And it was to be an outreach person for the National Guard. And the stipend was going to be $900. So at that time, I remember um, sitting down saying, okay, it's $900, but this is my call. I feel like this is it. I'm risking everything. The little bit I had at that time mm-hmm. for it. But I was like, I, I need to do it. So I grabbed onto it. I applied, and I was able to come in into the family program as uh, an outreach person. And I was working at that time with Alicia Condit and Claudia Curligan. So I was helping in five different counties, building books, doing outreach updating resources, doing, and that's what I love. Like, I fell in love with it. And I remember sitting there and saying, this is what I, this is my, this is it. You knew. I knew at that time. And I, my dream was to sit at the office where Alicia Condit was at the time. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, I want that job. And I wanted to be somehow part of it. But I knew as well that the program, the project was only a year. Mm -hmm. So... The year came around, and it was time for me to go, and I was really sad to to go. Um, there wasn't any openings. There wasn't anything else that I could do. And I remember at that time, Travis Hugmeyer was a commander for mm-hmm. um, Charlie Company out of Gresham. And he said, hey, Steph, do you want to be an FRG? And I was like, I don't know what that is. But hey, sign me up. And so I started learning about that SFRG program now, and I fell in love with it. I was like, I'm doing it. The Soldier and Family Readiness Group. Yes. And so they recently just changed the name. Mm -hmm. But that's what it, I was like, what do I do? And he goes, I mean, you are, you disseminate information to families. And I was like, so I get to work with a unit now and meet families and be that person and in my mind, the whole time, I'm thinking, I just don't want anybody to go through what I went through. Mm-hmm. And something so so simple like updating deers, right? Like, we talk about readiness all the time, and readiness is my passion. Like, I yeah. absolutely love it, and I believe in it. And I was like, I'm in. Sign me up. And I did it for a few years. Um, I remember being down... <laughs> I would show up every other weekend or every drill weekend, and they didn't know me. And this was a volunteer position, too, It right? is. Yeah, yeah, it was. And I was like, I I 
didn't want to go to Dallas Armory. Dallas Armory was when we had the roll call. Yeah. And all the memories there were just so hard for me. Like, I just never went back to it for a long time. Um, and I was like, yeah, I'll just do Gresham. I remember being there. I don't know anybody. But I, I, I like talking to people, so that wasn't an issue. <laughs> <laughs> um, I remember sitting there and just service members just walking by, looking at me like, who is this girl, right? Like, who, who is this lady? Why is she sitting here? And I was like, you know what? They'll get used to it. Yeah, yeah. They will get used to it. And eventually um, they did. I would just randomly ask them, hey, do you know who I am? Do you know my name? <laughs> They're like, well, I mean, you're, I became the lady with the paperwork. <laughs> and I was like, I will take that. Yeah. Because that's what I need to do, right? Is updating yeah. family information, trying to push it out to families. Like we, I found there was a big gap between the service members and the families. And yeah. not knowing the resources, not knowing that we were here, mm -hmm. we were available. So... That really became a passion for a few years. I did it for a few years. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, that's that's so hard in the guard, <laughs> isn't it? Right? Because even so, your unit was in Gresham. It it was. Yeah. So you probably you had soldiers that drilled there who were coming from all over the place. Right, and that's that's one of the hardest parts of it. Right, people kind of getting uh, the programs confused. They didn't understand. The difference between me and Heather at that time, and Heather was the family assistance specialist. So she mm -hmm. was able to do the uh, work cases and networking with community partners. Yeah. And I was really working close with her. We worked great together. But I was, my job, my mission was to disseminate the information to the families. Yeah. So they could, if they came to me with any issues, I could refer them to Heather or whoever their FAS was, and usually the FAS is based out of the HOMA record. Mm -hmm. So if I live in Salem and I'm drilling out of Gresham, I would refer them to a different FAS. Yeah. Yeah, so and we, we would go to trainings, and you had assistance all the time. There was FIRSAS at that time overseeing the SFRG program, and FIRSAS was a family readiness support assistant. So they were coming in, doing all the paperwork, doing all the training, and Anything we needed, they were there for us. Mm -hmm. So it was a big group, big family, working together yeah. with the same mission. Yeah, yeah. But you're still a volunteer at this point, aren't you? No. Oh, I, so then, then you became a... Yeah, so when I I was at SFRG for a few years, there was a, I was working at the hospital at that time. I was working at the hospital, and I was doing a lot of different things on the side. Um I I got the chance to apply to be a FERSA then. Okay. So the FERSA was a family readiness assistance specialist. And their job was to assist that FRG. So I became the FERSA for about 25 units. Okay. So, so now you're reaching out to all of those unit level. <laughs> yes. So... Um, now I was helping and assisting all the F, uh, FRGs. All the volunteers. All the volunteers yeah. at that time for the units. Okay. And I felt like it was like, huh. man, now I get to do this, right? So I've been in SFRG before. I have done this before. And I knew because, you know, they're the backbone of the family program. Yeah. They are 
working with the unit and commanders and the families. Mm-hmm. So it was really amazing to be able to now move up and be helping um, a lot of the volunteers. Yeah, and, and those volunteers are key too, right? Because the they have a spouse or a child or someone who is who is in that unit. And it, you know, it's it's funny you say that because a lot of people think they have to be affiliated with the military to be able to assist or to be able to help, but really anybody can. Anybody yeah. who wants to help. I mean, you run into people from church. You run into friends. Say, hey, what are you doing this? What are you doing there? What are you going to do this weekend? And I remember saying, like, well, I'm going to go. I'm a volunteer for the National Guard, right? Like, this is what I do. And they're like, oh, could I help? So there was a, there's a lot of different positions and a lot of different things that people can help with. And they do not have to be affiliated with the unit or the military at all. Yeah. But a lot of them were. Yeah, um, but they they are key. They are the again the backbone of the family program because mm-hmm. they're out there with the commanders, meeting the families, um, doing events, uh, updating the information, making sure that the they know the needs. Yeah, and based on that, they can you know bring people's speakers, do uh, events, and make sure that. The units are being taken care of, and the families too. Yeah, linking linking up those community partners. Yes. With specific needs in the organization. Correct. So, as so, I did that for maybe a few months, mm-hmm. and I remember hearing that that position. So the first set and the fast were going to be combined into a Title Five, a federal position. Yeah. So t- Title Five. So that's a, a civilian who works for the federal government, specifically working with the military? In this case, yes. Um, but I wasn't a citizen. <laughs> so that was a roadblock. And yeah. I. it was right when COVID hit. So things were closing down. Um, the, I mean, everybody was working from home. We didn't really know what was going on. And I knew that I had to apply to become a citizen to even get a chance to apply for the job that yeah. I always wanted. So had you kind of set your citizenship application aside these years then while you were? Yeah, I guess. I mean, I was just, in my mind, I was doing what I loved, right? Mm-hmm. And you, when you get your green card, you have to wait five years to enable to be able to apply. So there's a period of time that you have to wait. Um, and it was my time. It was my time to apply for citizenship. And so... I remember thinking, like, I have to do this. And I just hope, I was hoping and I was praying that I would get it back on time. Oh. But I, I wasn't sure that it was. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't believe in coincidence. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. So now you've had your green card for five years and the Title V position is opening. With well, it wasn't open yet, but it was talked about. Like, okay. it's coming up. And so I was like, okay. So you wanted to be ready. I, w- I need to be ready. Like, I talk about readiness all the time. This is what I do for a living. Yeah. It is my time. <laughs> so um, there was a few things along the way that I was trying to get done. Uh, I think for a long time, I was kind of, I was so focused on trying to fulfill the dreams that Mondo and I had together. Yeah. Right. So now I have like the boys. There, there were only two and six and they're growing. And he wanted a house so bad. That's yeah. all he wanted. He wanted a house. So 
I remember talking to George, um, the financial counselor. George Katsinas, yeah, great yes. guy. Yeah. Yes, I remember talking to him, and um, I, I swear to you, I was sitting down, and he goes, okay, Stephanie, what do you want to do in five years? And I looked at him and said, I don't even want to get out of bed today. Like, what do you mean? Yeah. <laughs> like, he goes, let's talk about this. Like, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I mean, if you're asking, I can tell you that I want to buy a house someday. He goes, okay. And for the past years, and I mean it, he has been one of my biggest support. And I bought my house in 2020, as right before I applied for my citizenship in January. Mm-hmm. I put in my application. I was like, you know, here goes nothing. I'm just <sighs> hoping it goes through. And like a week after, I got that letter saying, your application was received and the payment was received. It's like, cool, okay. And then on the 11th, January 11th, I got that email saying, with a letter saying, you have to go do your fingerprints on the 28th. That was super quick. I mean, that really takes months mm-hmm. to do. So I was like, okay, okay, this is, this is going well. Um, so I did my fingerprints. I took my picture and... I got another letter saying, you have 12 months to, like, wait 12 months to come and do what they do. They do a test. Mm -hmm. They'll give you, like, a test to study about the history and everything about the U.S. And then if you pass that and do, like, a verbal and writing one, then you get another appointment to do the oath. So, So I never realized there were two tests. Yeah. A a written test and an oral oral test. You do the, and then they do the test to know, like, there's a hundred questions in that. They only ask you five or six, but you have to study all of them. Wow. I learned a lot. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So you go through the test, and then if you pass, then you're given a different date to come back and stand with everybody and do the health and stuff. Yeah. So that's how it normally works. That's how it normally works. <laughs> um, so I remember thinking, you know, I can't, I don't have that time. I don't have that time and I I really want this. And I believe in prayers and I prayed a lot through my, my whole life, like through grief, through, mm-hmm. I remember when I was desperate and I remember when I felt like I didn't have a way out, I would... I would pray all the time. So I was praying and I was hoping that I could find a way to do this. And I was like, you know, if it, if it doesn't happen, then it's not meant to be. So I called the immigration office and I said, uh, so I'm a contractor with the National Guard. It is ending and it's going to be a federal position now. But if I don't get it, if I don't get it done by then, then I will be unemployed. So there's a different line for um, military families and then immigration. I remember asking people to write letters for me. So they were writing letters. A lot of people supported me with that. They were writing letters. Um, I got the contract company to send me a letter saying that it was really ending. And it was, I remember March 1st, it was my big big event I bought the house like I moved into the house that was really cool and then we went into COVID and a month later April 1st I got a phone call I got a phone call at work 
which never happens. It doesn't happen that way at all. It's like, hi, can I speak with uh, Stephanie Torres? And I was like, yeah, this is her. And I don't, I don't remember her name, but she was like, hey, I'm calling from the immigration office, and we would like to see you tomorrow, April 2nd at 2.30. <laughs> and I was like, oh. She goes, are you available? Uh, yes, I am. <laughs> that was my moment. Yeah. That was a big, big moment for me. Yeah, so you know, barely two months after you've taken your fingerprints. and Yes, it was it was really quick. And I remember, so my sister, everybody's just super happy for me, right? And I'm telling everyone in the office, like, my God, tomorrow's a big day. They were really supportive. They were always, like, asking me questions yeah. from that test. And, I mean, it's like family, right? Yeah. They're, like, always supporting me in everything I do. And I said, hey, tomorrow's a big day. Yeah. So... My sister, the next day, I said, hey, I'm taking tomorrow off. <laughs> that wasn't an issue. Yeah. Um, so I, this, this is already, this, this is April 2nd. April 2nd, 2020. 2020 when everything's so shut down. Two weeks to flatten the curve, right? So we're just going to shut <laughs> things down. Yeah. yeah. We had no idea what was coming then. We didn't know. No. We didn't know. All I knew at that time is nothing, nothing was open. Everything was taking longer. And... That was a big, big opportunity that I got. Yeah. So I show up the next day with my sister. And as I'm walking up, she goes first because she's super excited for me. (laughs) They open the door and say, hey, are you Stephanie Torres? And then she goes, no. She goes, oh, I'm sorry. We can't let you go in. Everyone's here for her. (laughs) So were there any other cars in the parking lot? (laughs) No. It was literally every single person in the building was there for me. And that was amazing. Yeah. Um, I walked in and he goes, hey, I don't know who you are or what you did or who you call, but everyone in this building got a call yesterday saying that they had a special case and we needed to come in. So we're all here for you. And that, I mean, I was all smiles and I told him, thank you so much. I can't thank you enough. As I was going through security, everybody's like cheering for me, like, it was a big deal. <laughs> it yeah. was a big deal. So I remember going up the stairs to meet with a guy with that interview to do the oral and writing. And and he was so nice. He's like, hey, so, like, what do you do? Like, he was just asking me questions. He wanted yeah. to know why. He's like, I, I got a phone call saying we have a special case tomorrow. I need you in the office. And here I am, like. There was a few of us that were called. Yeah. And he goes, nobody in the U.S. is becoming a citizen today. That was a big deal. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I still didn't know that I was going to do everything that same day. But um, I took the test, writing. Um, he asked me a few questions, and I answered them right. And I was sitting there, and he gave me the paper and said, you have passed. Congratulations, you're now... That you are now a citizen. Now I just, I had in my mind, I was, I was like, okay, I got this, I got this. Yeah. I was so excited. Like, I remember being overwhelmed with happiness. I was like, okay, okay. <laughs> and uh, shortly after, he goes, I need you to wait here really quick. And I say, why am I waiting? I thought I was going to come back later. And he goes, oh, no. <laughs> the person, the judge, or whoever does the oath was actually there for me, too. So wow. he came out. And um, in the in the lobby, 
we did that with, and I became a citizen that day. So April 2nd, 2020. April 2nd, 2020. Stephanie Torres, the only person <laughs> in U.S. history sworn in that day. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was amazing. It was the best feeling ever. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I've been here forever, right? So it's like I felt like I was part of the U.S., Mm-hmm. I mean, my husband's here. I love um, our community. My kids are here. Everything. I mean, this is home. Yeah. This is home and it's always going to be home, right? And that doesn't mean that I forgot where I'm from. Mm-hmm. But this is home. You're an American. I am an American. Mm-hmm. And I remember getting that paper was, it was almost like, this is where you belong now. Like, I, I felt like I did, but I didn't have it. Mm-hmm. So getting that paper, being the only one in the U.S. to be a citizen that day, how would, um, having everybody there cheering me on, and I remember walking down, like, I was crying. I was crying. I was so excited, and I was like, I did it. But I knew. I was like, all my prayers worked. Yeah. Because that was incredible. And I was now a citizen, and I was now an American, and I was like, this is where I belong. And this is where my heart is. Well, and then you you rolled up your sleeves and you got right back to work, <laughs> didn't you? I did. Yeah. And so I, as soon as I left, I texted everyone from work. And they're like, oh, my God, congratulations. Uh, you should stop by the office. So I stopped by the office and they had balloons for me. And it was like a big party for <laughs> me. It was amazing. It was really one of the best moments in my life. Yeah. And May 10th, I became a military and family readiness specialist. I was able to get the job. I got an interview, and they offered me the position, and I couldn't, yeah, I couldn't be more thankful and happier. Oh, well, <laughs> uh, just being part of this organization, I'm grateful for you. And, and, and oh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so, that's, that's how, so that's how you got to your job now. That's I, how I got to my job now. Yeah, yes. and I think I met you on the one-year anniversary of when you became a citizen. I think that was the first time I met you. Yeah, I didn't know they were having another party for me. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember uh, one of, somebody in the office remembered that date, and yeah. he was really sneaky, Figueroa, Rudy. <laughs> he told everyone, and so everyone is walking in, and they're talking about meeting, and I was like, I didn't get a memo, I didn't get a calendar invite, I didn't get an email. Um, so they're like, oh, it was like a last minute e- uh, email meeting. Maybe they just forgot to add you. And I was like, okay. <laughs> but it, uh, when I walked in, it was them like celebrating my first year anniversary. And they had like balloons and everybody was kind of going over the test and the questions. And it's just that family that I have yeah. there. It's I love being there. Yeah, a lot of great people who are just like you, dedicated and passionate about helping our service members and their families. Yeah, I don't, you know, so the service member and family support is a big, big umbrella. We have about 14 different programs, and each one of us brings something different to the table. We have different experiences, different knowledge. Mm -hmm. Um, We all have the same mission, and we work great together. Um, Even just for our group, for the military and family readiness specialists, there's 10 of us or 11 throughout the state. So we cover every corner in Oregon. Yeah. Um, yeah, we're 
always wanting to help. Yeah, so it's kind of, you have two, um, your focus is both outward, right? Because you're, you're, you're in the communities and you're in, in those regions, finding community partners, identifying the resources that are available in the community. You're also looking to the other government programs and, mm-hmm. and military family programs that are available for our service members. Um, and, then you're, and then you're looking inward to um, meeting our soldiers and mm-hmm. airmen and their families, building those relationships and trying to identify those needs. Yeah, so when they became, when this position, um, they took two different positions, right? So they took the one where I was a volunteer um, and I was assisting the volunteers. Mm-hmm. And then they took the assistance portion of it. So we do both of them. So for the assistance, we want to make sure that if a service member or a family member, a survivor, a veteran comes in, um, we have the resources. We mm-hmm. are a resource and referral specialist, right? So we rely heavily on community partners, and we do outreach and network and attend events. And we just want to make sure that, you know, we know it takes a lot for people to come and ask for help. Mm-hmm. So we want to make sure that we are prepared and we're ready to be able to serve. And typically when somebody comes to us, we provide the resource and referral, and we follow up with them. We want to make sure they're being taken care of and they're not just falling through the cracks. Mm-hmm. And that's the assistance portion of it. Yeah. And that would be based on your HAMA record. So based on where you live, there's one of us that can assist you. Mm-hmm. For the readiness portion, that's where we assist the volunteers and other the soldier and family readiness groups. And we, I have two different battalions. So I have battalions and I work with commanders and I work with the military point of contacts connecting them in the SFRG, kind of training them, teaching them the ways and helping them disseminate the information. Like if there's any trainings that we do, we have an upcoming state workshop where we, everybody from the state comes over, all the volunteers come and we do some training and we recognize their volunteer work and the hours and just kind of to get to know each other. Um, We are all over the state. Right. So this is a time where they come together and talk about what works for you, what didn't work for me. Um, write down ideas of things that, you know, we can do to bring families together. Um, so that's a big one, too. We do both. Yeah. Yes. The readiness is, is huge. Yeah. And you do you do some great events throughout the year. What are what are some of your favorite events to put on? I actually, um, I remember last year I had one for families. It was like a carnival. And we were having games and prizes, but it's also bringing, when you when you bring families together for kids or um, girlfriends, we don't, you don't have to be a spouse all the time. We have resource tables there. Mm-hmm. So we... It helps them get to know the program. It helps them let to know, let them know that we're here to help, right? We have so many resources available. We have so many things. Child and youth mm-hmm. is a big one, mm-hmm. you know, because they're working with the kids all the time, and they have the amazing team panel, and those are the kids that are um, 13 to 18 years old, and they help put events together. Their parent um, is typically in the in, in the guard or Air Force. Um, 
survivors can do it too. And so they get together and do events for everyone in the state. That military youth ball was put by them. They did community service. They do so much. So it's getting those kids and teaching them resiliency and leadership and bringing the skills together to be able to serve other kids, which is amazing. Because you talk about service members and you talk about spouses and girlfriends. And I feel like, you know, we need to talk more about the kids. Hmm. April is the month of the military kid. So there's a lot going on right now with uh, child and youth. There's a lot of events. They have the purple app coming up. And that's a great way for them to get connected. Yeah. And although they're not alone, which is what we all want, right? They uh, they belong. Yeah. And they serve too. Yeah, and that's and in Oregon does have uh, some great child and youth programs, and mm-hmm. um, some of the youth will stick with those programs and and build relationships with other youth from around the state that last for years. Yeah, I mean, because you start, you can sign up when you're a little younger, and I know that there's people that kind of do it for uh, three or four years, and then when they graduate, they have a special recognition and. Some people use that experience for their scholarships, for their resumes, for mm-hmm. letters of recommendation. I know that there's a few that have gotten into good universities. Yeah, I just heard that. about a family member yes. uh, accepted to West Point. Yeah, Tatum. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's that was that was great to hear. Yeah, yeah. and we've and we've seen um, talking to some of some of my other friends who are more senior members of the, of the right. Oregon Guard uh, have seen children go from the child and youth services programs and are now serving in the Guard themselves. Yes, there's a yeah. few of them as well. Yeah. So it's always just bringing the families together, always making sure they know that, you know, we're here. Mm-hmm. We are here. Um, we do our best to help out. We really, really care for the families as well. Yeah. Because they serve too. And I feel that there's a lot of people that don't feel that way. I feel right. that if they're not wearing the uniform, in a sense, they don't feel like they belong. So when the unit deploys, we do outreach to the families. Just, hey, like, how are you doing? A lot of times they don't even know what to ask because yeah. they don't know, right? But being able, knowing that, being that person. I mean, I was that girlfriend. Like, I didn't know what to ask. So just like, do they have kids? Do they not have kids? Are they mm-hmm. newly weds? Are they have they been married for a long time? Is this their first deployment? Getting to know the families and being able yeah. to provide the resources throughout deployment is one of my biggest joys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it's you know maybe a small sample size, but when I told Chris that uh, <laughs> that you we were going to talk to you today, he said, "Oh, I know her." Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, this is like is a great segue into the other part of the story after she got citizenship, which, <laughs> you know, I didn't know. I, at the same time, um, 2020, I was in Kosovo. Uh, we had left um, at just the beginning of the year. And uh, prior to that, um, I married my wife um, and... I tell her every day that uh, she was right and I was wrong because uh, we got – I was like, gonna, oh, well, maybe after the deployment. We had a long uh, engagement and um, and I am so thankful that we got married before uh, because then 
uh, we were able to go on a honeymoon. And if I would have waited till after, we would have had the pandemic. So (laughs) that would have been horrible. But um, Stephanie called her um, frequently and uh, the whole time. And so she was a brand new military spouse. And she felt the love of our organization uh, by Stephanie calling her and checking on her. And um, thank you. Oh, <laughs> yeah. That's what I'm here for, right? Yeah. Like these yeah. are the things that when you hear about it, when you hear like, hey, you made someone smile, you made somebody like feel special or that they belong. That's what I'm here for. And yeah. Yeah. I that that was my mission. That was my purpose the whole time. Yeah, and clearly, you know, your personal um, uh, buy-in on that job yeah. <laughs> to like actually, you know, really find out. I mean, I don't know how long you guys talk. Um, Christine's pretty introverted. Both of us are. I know, and they're bit. just me, right? <laughs> and, and then, um, but she was like, "Yeah, Stephanie's calling me," and I didn't know at the time <laughs> who Stephanie was. And yeah, she calls me all the time and checks on me. And I was like, wow, I'm impressed. Um, I think we're getting it right. And, yeah. But it's really your personal commitment to the job. So thank you. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> thank you. So Stephanie, that's a great story of outreach because you were actually calling one of our deployed service members' spouses while he was gone. If a soldier or airman or any other service member or a family member is listening and they don't know where to start, what's the, f- what's the first thing that you tell people to do if they have a question or a need or just they're trying to find help on something? How do they start accessing some of these programs? Yeah, we know that it can be overwhelming not knowing or, I mean, if, even if you Google it, you're going to have like thousands and thousands of sites and answers. But if you call our main office... Our main office is the number to know mm-hmm. because the main office can get you connected to any of us throughout the state. And what we do is we then refer you and help you get connected to the resource that you need in your county or where you're located. Yeah, so that's here in here in Oregon. So, yeah, let, let's share that phone number. And then if someone from a different state is listening um, you can call us and we'll we'll find the right person for you to talk to. Or if they're close to an active duty installation, we can reach out and make sure that you get connected to the people you need. What's what's what is that phone number for our service members and families here in Oregon? Yeah, it's nine seven one three five five twenty three eighty nine. And most definitely, we work together with people throughout the states. We have their point of contact. We all work together. We all have the same mission, and we're all here to help. Your your story is so amazing. Um, not, you know, that there's tragedy. Um, but, you know, we talk about finding purpose and finding your vocation or your, your calling in life and, and having a mission. And we've had guests here on the show, too, that have talked about how, you know, one of the most powerful ways that we can cope with challenges or or difficult situations or or get through times of adversity is by looking outward and helping and, and serving others. And, you know, my goodness, after the conversation we've had, uh, I think your, your why, um, your reason for doing what you do is, is so obvious and in everything, um, whether that's calling 
major client's wife or, <laughs> or, or talking with our community partners or putting on a, a, a Christmas party for, uh, for families and, and youth. Um, your passion and your heart for serving soldiers and family members and, and so service members and family members too, right? Because it's not just soldiers. Um, it, it's, it's obvious. And, and so we're grateful for you. And uh, Stephanie, we're going to have to have you back on again. <laughs> uh, yeah. Thank you again. No, thank you for having me and for allowing me to share the story. Um, there was a point, I remember when it all started, I knew that I wanted to make a change. I knew that I wanted to help people. And I knew, like, I didn't think it was going to be this big. But I am so thankful and I am so blessed to have the support from people that along the way kind of took me under their wing and believed in me and trusted me and helped me to get where I am and being able to share that and make a difference. It's what it's all about, right? Oh, that's great. We're all in this together, right? We're all in this together. Well, God yes. bless you, Stephanie. Have a, have a great day and I'll look forward to talking with you again soon. Thank you. <laughs> this podcast is produced by the Oregon National Guard Public Affairs Office. My prayer for you is that wherever you find yourself, that you might find hope for today and strength for the ambiguity and chaos of life. Blessings on the rest of your day. 